Well, as we uh, quoted that verse, uh, which is the verse of the month at Grace Hills Church this morning, it really is the introduction to our passage as we look at in God's Word. And, and really, I've entitled the message this morning, Specific Action Steps. But before we get God's plan for what His people are to do and to be all about, He introduces that with the phrase, the end of all things is near. Now, I was tempted just to leave that part out of my message other than making a few just introductory comments. But as you think about that, that's pretty crucial to to really looking at what is this all about? And and sometimes when we look at uh, this big book, it's it's pretty imposing. And so often what we'll do is we'll pick out individual verses and we'll memorize them and think about them a little bit. But it's hard to put it in the big picture of all that God is doing. So this morning, I've, I've got a rather a challenging approach to uh, God's Word this morning as we preach it. Is I, I, want you to give, I want to give you the big picture of all that God has been doing and is going to do. And, and then in light of the big picture, uh, look at the, the details of what, how we are involved in that plan. And, and so we're going to basically try to answer the question, what, what is the what God wants us to do? And we'll finish the message, hopefully, uh, doing that which is really the five verses that we're looking at, the practical part of understanding God's big plan. Uh, but before we do that, we'll look at, uh, at the why. Why is it that God wants us uh, to be uh, people who know him and, and make him known to others? Well, why does God want us to be part of his plan? And, and then in the middle of that, we're going to look at, well, how does this end times theme supposed to work out? So hopefully in the midst of that, as I give a big picture with some details, it won't be overwhelming. Uh, But I want to give you my understanding of God's big plan in light of uh, what he wants us to be and what he wants us to do. You know, the end of all things is near. That that word end, it's the word telos in the Greek, which doesn't particularly mean anything to us if you don't know Greek. But it really has the idea of not necessarily the end in terms of the cessation of everything else. It's not like the game is over and now what's next. It really is the, it's really the culmination of God's plan. And really, as you, if you make a game analogy, what it is saying is, as you think about it, the game, the normal game is going to be over in terms of God's program, but there's, then there's going to be overtime. And when a game ends in a tie, that game is finished, but they want it to have a final culmination and so there's overtime and so basically as as we hear this phrase the end the consummation of all things is near it it didn't mean then and didn't doesn't mean now that necessarily today it's going to be all over God and his plan will will consummate it and he has details according to that plan and he wants us to be be living lives in urgency to be a part of what he's about to do and so the talk is the talk the clock (laughs) The clock is talking? No. The, the clock is ticking. And, and the more we understand and appreciate that, the more we'll sense that every moment really matters. Uh, it doesn't mean we, we are frenzied in our activity and going wild and crazy, but we recognize every moment matters. And so we, we want to be right in the middle of what God wants us to be and to do. But I often find that as you think about life, if you're going to understand uh, the ending, it, it sure helps to understand the Oh, you helped me out so well, all right? Uh, one of the frustrating things to me, if, uh, since we talked about the movie night, if, if I'm with someone and the movie's just about to start, I don't mind if they're eating, but I don't want them to be, oh, talking. Now you're really helping me, all right? Because often the beginning of the movie sets up the whole plot and understanding the ending, right? 
If you don't really understand the beginning, often you don't understand the ending. And as we think about this book from Genesis to Revelation, and that's one of my challenges, I want to teach you the entire Bible today in summary form, all right? If you begin at the beginning, in the beginning, God, all right? So as you think about the purpose of life, it's all understanding, it's all about God. Now, God didn't begin in the beginning in terms of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, but in the beginning of our experience, God started it all off. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you'll find out that when God did it, when he created the the physical things on the earth, he called it good. And then when he created us, he called us very good. And then he also described us uniquely in comparison to everything else he created, uh, both the things that don't make any noise, you know, in terms of their, and, and they aren't alive, and those are the things that are alive, is that we are made in the image of God. And, and so as you think about our life, the reason I looked at my hand is I started bleeding right before I came up here. You know, if you see me bleeding, it's not the end, it's only the beginning of the end, all right? So, and, and then someone looked at my arms, I didn't wear a long sleeve shirt, I got these blood marks here, you know, and, and so that just means I'm getting getting old okay and and take a little blood thinner so uh, I, I'm not I'm not as I'm not as um, I'm not as sick as you think I might be all right so but as you think about um I just wasted some time there didn't I all right so in the beginning we are made in the image of God and so our purpose is now to reflect not the imitation but the real thing we are made in the image of God and we are to live lives that really display and manifest who God is And as we think about his creation and what he described his creation to be, and even particularly us, God is good. And so the purpose of life is to display who God is, and God is good. But as you look at the story of life, and as you look at the stories recorded for us in the scripture, something happened to that which was good and was clearly demonstrating the character and nature of who God is, and that was sin. And so as you think of the Bible, in the beginning, there was God, and God created, but then there was the fall, sin messed everything else, sin messed everything up. And then from there, from Genesis 3 on, you have God in his goodness, and his love, and his mercy, and his grace, is rescuing people. And so then, from then on, you hear and and read about the rescue plan, or the reconciliation plan plan of God bringing people back into relationship to the God who is good. And the reason we see throughout scripture that we can't do it on our own is is that God had to be very clear about process as well as people. And as people rebelled against him, he chose in his sovereign plan, he chose Abraham and the people of Israel to be his representatives. To, to realize that they were to, to live in such a way as that, as that people would know that they knew God, the real true God, not the gods of, of, of the world, but the true God. But even in the midst of that, he wanted them to reconcile that no matter being chosen, you can't make it on your own. And so all the sacrifices of the Old Testament were to describe that God needed to provide a way for us to know him. It was through the, the blood sacrifices that symbolized the one who was to come, the Messiah, Christ, that would come to, to deal with all of our sin. And so you have God, you have God creating, we, we see the fall of man in sin, we see God's reconciliation, a rescue plan, and then Jesus arrives on the scene, fulfilling all the promises of God to come and rescue us. 
But then as we look into the future, it's all about now looking forward to the restoration, the restoration of God bringing everything into line because we still live in a world that's messed up. Would we all say amen to that? And so as we think about that, Peter is writing, as well the New Testament writers are saying, look at, as you live for God, as you gather together as God's assembly of people, God's church, and as individuals, you walk with Jesus, you are to show to the world who God is. God who loves people, God who wants a relationship with people, God who is good, God who can rescue them. But in the midst of that, people will still rebel against God's plan for them because fundamentally, the reason people don't know God is because they don't want to know God. They, they want to live their own life. They want to be in control of their life. And so they rebel against that. Uh, sin, that, I, one of the definitions I like about sin is that middle letter, that three-letter word. And that, the middle letter of the three-letter word is what? I. We all have I problems. Until we come to that point, we recognize that I ain't very good and I need someone to rescue me. I will rebel and, and refuse to humbly admit my need and, and turn to Jesus as my, my Lord and Savior. But as we think about this world in which God has promised he's going to restore into his initial plan, uh, he wants us to recognize that there is a time when this is going to end, when the consummation of God's plan will come to be. And so the end of all things is near which is a, a challenge for us to, to live each moment of each day saying, God, not in a frenzied way, but in, in a way in trusting him that we want to be all about his plan, revealing him in our attitude and actions. But how is that all going to play out? Well, we know that as the Jewish people and everyone else who read the Bible, uh, the Old Testament, they heard about this Messiah, the one that was to come. And, and so they were looking for Jesus to come and not only write everything that was wrong in our lives, but in the world around us. In other words, I want you to change me, but everybody else, and I want to live in a world, which is interesting to me, is that people today are fascinated with creating movies about utopia or dystopia. Do you understand that? All those Marvel you know, comic movies and things like that. They're all looking for what's going to happen. How can we make everything right? Okay. Well, they are in a creative way trying to deal with what the Bible says in a, in a real way. What's going to happen? There is going to be a time when this messed up world will no longer be messed up. But as they misunderstood that G, the, the, the one who was going to change all that, the Messiah, uh, was going to come not just once, but he's going to come twice. The first time was to change what's wrong in our, on the inside. And then when he comes again, he will change what's wrong on the outside, everything around, around us. But in the midst of that, God has given us a, a plan of how that's going to play out. And that's the, how, how is this the end of all things? And, and how is this near? It, it, it's near and that this is what's coming next. But as I understand the scripture is that as we think about that, some people... I think, miss some of the details of what's happening. And, and um, obviously, there are smart people who have different understandings of the Scripture. And I share with you, of course, my view is always right. But the, beyond that is that I, I really believe this is, this, is the, this, is the, this is the plan, or this is the program with it. And as Jesus was preparing his disciples for his death, and trust me, that was shocking. 
I mean, you, all you have to do is see the reaction of them. In fact, even the Jewish people today, it, it's hard for them to imagine that their Messiah would actually die. How could that be? How about all the other things that were promised to happen didn't happen? How can I trust him if those things didn't happen? And so he was preparing them for that. And at the end of Matthew chapter 23, and this is where we get to some of the, the passages. So we're at the point, how is the end of all things near? Let me just run through a couple pass, uh, a couple, a few passages that will kind of give you a picture of this. And I know this, I'm going to basically give us all uh, a drink of water from a fire hose this morning. But, but I, I want to lay out some things, all right? In Matthew chapter 23, beginning at verse 38 and 39, Jesus is saying this, Behold, your house, speaking to Jerusalem, is being left to you desolate. For I say to you from now on, you will not see me in, until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what are you saying here? Are you saying, look it, I'm here now and I'm going to be gone. And you as a, a, a nation, as a, as a people in, in, in a national form will not see me again until you come to that point nationally that you say, blessed is he who has come. Now, I don't see how that could have ever happened in 70 AD because when that happened they weren't looking up and praising God saying blessed is he who has come it didn't happen because all they were experiencing was heartache and pain and then he goes on he says this Jesus came out from the temple and he was going away because as you think about Jesus saying all kinds of things after a while you say well how do I know that in the distant future is going to happen when I don't see and he pictured that right now. And so he said, he came to the temple and was going out from his disciples, came up to the point in the temple, building to him, and he said to them, do you see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will be torn down. That speaks of the near fulfillment of what Jesus was talking about. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you what has happened to you spiritually is that you have put your trust in the symbols and not the Savior. And what's going to happen is that your temple in which you go to worship, it will all be destroyed. There will be not one stone of this building that took 46 years to build. Well, the disciples at that point were getting pretty excited. And so they go on in verse 3 and says, As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, Well, tell us, when will these things happen? And so they asked another question. We're, we're asked, trying to answer the what and the, and the how and the, and the why. The, the why is this is all part of God's program. Uh, the, the what, the how is, uh, this is what's going to happen, but they want to know when. And Jesus, throughout the scriptures, says, I'm not going to tell you when. I want you to trust me moment by moment without knowing all, all the, the timetable I'm going to give you. But they said, tell us when will these things happen and, will be this, and, and what will be the sign of your coming, and, and the, here's the, the key here, and of the end of the age. The end of all things is near the end of the age. They want to know when was the end of the age going to happen. And Jesus did not tell them when specifically in terms of on a calendar. But he said, I'm going to give you a picture of what is going to happen. And now he didn't talk about the near fulfillment. He was looking at the far fulfillment when Jesus would come to this planet and right all wrongs. Now, when he says this, then he goes on and he gives some things about what will, will happen. And here's the signs of the times of the second coming of Jesus. What we need to be involved, involved, involved as much as possible is what it says in verse 14. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, 
uh, Jesus says this, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. So our, our responsibility is not to set the date but to be involved in the welcoming committee to say we want as many people to see Jesus and know Jesus before he comes. Now, this particular verse, my understanding of happened, will only be fulfilled during this period of time that the, the prophet Daniel said in Daniel chapter 9, during the last week of the 70 weeks, in which a seven-year period of time in which all kinds of things will, things will happen in the judgment of this world, but also in the proclamation of the gospel in supernatural ways, this verse will only be will only be fulfilled during that period of time where God will, will have angelic beings sharing the gospel. He'll have 144,000 witnesses sharing the gospel. And then at that time, everyone will hear a personal invitation to receive Jesus Christ. But during this seven-year period, and I'm jumping ahead, is that there, there's going to be a period of time in which it's going to be like no other time. Look at verse 21. In verse 21, it says this, From then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor will ever be. Now, during this last year, uh, uh, did anything happen this last year around the world? You know, COVID. Okay, COVID, in some ways, people say this, there, there's, been no other, there's been no other time that's been like this. This is the worst of all times, okay? And it, depending on what happens when, whenever you're born, a lot of times you think, well, it used to be a lot better during the good old days. It's, it's always been a challenge. Which, when were the real bad days, right? And Israel experienced tremendous hardship during this period of time. And, but through other periods of time, would you say that the Holocaust in, in Germany was worse than the time of, of Titus of Rome in 70 AD? I don't know about that. Okay. And the thing here is that this will be a time where you could literally say it has been worse than any other time this planet has ever experienced. But what I want to talk to you about, well, what was he saying here about when we're going to understand that the, the culmination of, of this period of time uh, in history is, is going to come to completion? Is there a sign for that? So, well, that's what he said. That's what the question asked in verse 30. Well, look at verses 30 and 31. This is the sign that will happen. And when the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. And I know I'm going through this fast, but basically, not basically, this is what he said. Look, at how will you know this has actually happened? He said, people will see Jesus coming. And all the tribes, basically he's saying, look, as you think of all the world, those who have not repented, they're going to mourn at this because they know judgment has come to them. And then what he's going to do, he's going to take the angels and he's going to gather people who know the Lord and those who don't know the Lord who have survived during that period of time. That's the sign of the ultimate culmination of this period of time is when Jesus returns. 
Now, some, this is extra credit for some of you. For some who, who read Matthew 24 carefully, they will, they will see what I'm going to talk about in a moment, what's called, which is called the rapture. It is, they will say, well, the rapture is described in, in Matthew chapter 24. Because God, Jesus says very plainly, I'm not going to give you the calendar time of this. I'm going to describe this time. In verse 36, he says this. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. So if you read people who talk about red moons and everything else out there, just, just, just don't keep reading, all right? For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in, in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand that the flood, until the flood came and took them all away, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. Some think that that's the rapture. I don't see that's the rapture here. That's really... Revelation chapter 19, and I have that reference in there, 11 through 21. Um, I guess I don't have that reference in here. Revelation 19, 11 through 21 is the, is the speaking of Jesus coming to earth in judgment. And at that time, there, those who have rebelled against him and are still alive, they will be taken away and they will be judged. And those who have been believers, they will stay here on earth and they will enter a whole nother period of life, what's called the millennium, a thousand year reign in which Jesus will reign here on earth. Now, that's running through some passages dealing with what's going to happen next. But let me, let me try to picture it a little bit in a bullet point way. As you look at in the beginning, God, and at the end, in Revelation chapter 22, verses 21 and 22, it says this, uh, Dear Lord Jesus, come quickly, okay? And the Lord Jesus, come, amen, all right? And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. It begins with God, and it begins with Christ, and the plea for him to come quickly. And when he comes, he is going to come quickly. And we're going to talk about that. But just as people in the Old Testament misunderstood that the Messiah would come only once, and he's, going to come, he's coming twice, often people will get confused about, well, Jesus coming on the, in the second time, are you, are you somehow putting a third time to this? And that's what the Bible talks about in, as far as the rapture. In your outline, I have the reference there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. It speaks about a time in which Jesus is going to come and catch up people in the clouds. Those who have died in Christ first and those who are alive and will be caught up to him in the heavens, in the clouds. That is the next event, as I understand scripture, that is going to happen. There are no signs to look at to see whether that's going to happen. It could happen at any moment. And, and the difference between the rapture and what you could call the second coming in which Jesus comes here on earth it is pretty pronounced. One is the rapture will not be seen by everybody. It will happen so quickly. Now, again, we all want to know a timetable where we could put it on the calendar. 
we, we aren't any different than the disciples of Jesus' day. In Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, that's what they were asking. And in that asking, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, they were asking, and when are you going to uh, set up the kingdom for Israel? God has a plan for Israel. Because another way, if you want to understand this big book, you've, you've got in two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. They aren't divided evenly in terms of pages, but you have the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is promises made, and the New Testament is promises kept. And so he's going to be faithful to his promises to Israel. And, and the reason is because God is good and God keeps his promises. And there's going to come a time in which he will do what he said. He, he, will, he will set up utopia here on earth. And that will be what's called the millennium. But before that happens, out of his goodness, and he doesn't have to do this, but he's going to gather up his followers in Jesus Christ before this period of time of judgment, a seven-year period of time that Matthew chapter 24 records, Revelation verse chapter 16, uh, chapter, well, chapter 6 through 18, you go into 19 records, it, it, is that period of time, those who know the Lord, he's going to display his goodness, not that he has to, not that we, we believe we ha- we're, we're trying to escape troubles because we're in troubled times now, but he's going to Allow us to miss that time, which is going to be worse than any other time. And the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, is distinct from the coming of Jesus to the earth. And all you have to do is read Revelation 19, 11 through 18. It's totally unlike anything described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. So we live... We can live each day recognizing this could be the day that Jesus gathers his people to be with him, that know him. Now, how fast is that going to be? And that's the other distinction here. When Jesus comes to here to this earth, every eye will see him. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, and then you look at the description in Revelation chapter 9. Every eye is going to see him. But when Jesus comes to gather up his church, it will, it will be instant. No one will see him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 53, I describe it's, I put that in your outline. It says that it's going to come in the twinkling of an eye. Anybody know how fast a twinkling of an eye is? It's, some have said this. It's, it's the amount of time that light, and life travels at what, 186,000 miles per second. It's the amount of time that it takes the, the eye to, to go from the retina to the back of the eye, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, I don't even know how, what, how small that uh, length is, but it is going to be instant. It's just going to be a blur. It's not going to be a blur. It's gone. And, and so you look at the difference between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. It's, it's so distinct. One is instant. One every, every eye will see. One, and it's a judgment for God's people. One is a deliverance of God's people. One is God is displaying his goodness, and the other one is displaying his holiness and judgment. And as Peter writes this, he's trying to ramp up their urgency to say, we need to live for God now. Why? Because the end, the consummation of all things, the the goodness of God that has been displayed at the beginning, and then as as we look forward to his return at the end, we want to be about his business until he comes. So that's, that's, the, that's the why and the how as I see it. 
And as you look at Revelation 20 and 20, there's, there's basically two parts of eternity or, or the, the overtime of the game that lasts forever is that there's going to be a thousand year reign here on earth by Jesus. And you say, why is he doing that? One is to be faithful to the promises he made in the past. Promises made, promises kept. But also display this. As you look at, as you look at us as far as why we do things or why we don't do things, um, how we can rationalize following God or not following God or more fundamentally or foundationally is believing God or not believing God, we can all say, well, you know, I, you know because life was so unfair. Or, or, or if, if I just couldn't, I couldn't understand how can you believe in a, a good God when all kinds of bad things happen. Um, and, and if I compare my, my situation to other people, I didn't have as the, the opportunity. And God says, okay, let's just, let's just display my goodness and justice completely. I'm going to recreate an environment just like the Garden of Eden. And, and as I recreate this Garden of Eden, everything is going to be per- perfect. Everything will be just because I'm going to be in the rule. Everyone will be provided for. Everyone will experience all the goodness of my provision. And in the end, people will still rebel. And that's the story of Revelation 20. And then the judgment in Revelation 21. And then in Revelation uh, 20, I mean 20 and 21 and 22, you see the goodness of God displayed in what we would call the eternal state. So there's going to be a 1,000-year test some will trust in God and some will not trust in God, just like today. And then those who decide to trust in the living God in his goodness and grace and mercy will live forever for him. So in the midst of that, and that's all in that phrase, the end of all things is near. He said, okay, now this is what I want you to be about. And that's what I'm going to do in 10 minutes, all right? <laughs> he says, I-, I want you to be of sound judgment and sober spirit. And what is he saying there? He's saying, look, I want you to have a right mind. That's what, it really comes from a compound word related to the word mind. I want your mind to be right. Think, think rightly. And, and sober spirit, I want you to be under control. This is what I want you to be about. And then he, he gives some bullet points, which are pretty straightforward. That doesn't mean a lot of depth from, you know, a pastor just telling stories, all right? He says this. Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. So what's our simple action plan? We ought to be prayerful. Would you, would you, can we all understand that? One of the things that ought to describe us as God's people is that we ought to be a praying people. And, and, and when we pray about people, let, let's, let's pray about what's most important. And everything, God wants us to pray about everything, but there are some things that are more important than others. I mean, I, I always want to get that, that, that uh, parking spot, you know, when I'm in a hurry, right? That's probably not the most important thing, you know, in all of, of life right now, right? And, and so we want to talk to God about people and, and then talk to people about God. Look at, turn on your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And Mark, who I won't fire this week, but, uh, you know, he talks about, hey, we, we've got a hope to share with people. Look what Ephesians 6, 18 through 20 says. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So we ought to pray for each other. 
We ought to pray that we would live lives that display the image of God. We want to live lives that give glory to God. We want to allow people to see God's grace and mercy that is displayed in our lives and and how we treat other people. Then he goes on, and pray on my behalf that the utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains and reclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We ought to pray regularly for each other that we would speak boldly, confidently, the message of Christ to other people. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Not only should we pray that that we would overcome sickness, that we would would deal with the trials in our life, that we would be able to uh, keep on keeping on, but that that we would see ourselves as ambassadors for Christ, that we would take the people that we know in our relational world and we would pray for them and, and look for opportunities to talk to them about Jesus, to invite them. The reason we're doing The Chosen to have a great experience for all of us, but who are we going to be thinking and praying for that we would invite to come see The Chosen? Who, who are we inviting to that we could share our story with? So let's be a prayerful people and let's pray for what's most important because why? The end of all things is near. And if the, if the rapture is, as I understand, it could happen any moment. But then he goes on again. He, this is just bullet points that he shares and just, just rapid fire to say, hey, I, I've been trying to prepare you for suffering. That's, you're probably tired of hearing about suffering. You know, have hope in the midst of suffering. He said, okay, now, now I want you to realize, here's your game plan. Be prayerful. And then he says, look, this is all in context of of people. He he goes on and says, above all else, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. So second action step is that we ought to be fervent in love and forgiveness. And that's what it means to cover sins is that, that, you know, when when you cover someone else's sins, one, one is that you don't gossip about it, you don't talk about it. One is you just forgive it. But he says, be fervent in love for one another. Now, the only thing I want to say about here, I mean, we've heard love from, you know, throughout scripture. That's the greatest theme. And and agape love is volitional love. It means you choose to love whether you feel, whether you feel like it or not. But it really, I, I want, I want you to give all that you have to care about other people's needs. The word fervent, it's an interesting word that that uh, really talks about people who are extending themselves with everything they have. It was off, off, often used to describe those who are in a race and they're, and they're, just, they're just lunging for the finish line because they, they, they want to make the finish line and they want to come in victoriously. And he said, look, it, it, it's sometimes hard to love people that you don't like, right? But he said, I want you to be fervent in love. I want you to stretch out. And, and even those people that you have a lot to forgive about, I want you to forgive them. In Matthew chapter 18, I think it's verses 31 through 35, 21 through, 30, 21 through 25, Peter, you know, he, he, he heard this forgiveness thing. If, if you can't forgive people, you really can't love people, can you? And, and Peter goes, well, how many times do I have to forgive someone? And he says, well, um, you know, seven times, which was about double what other people had said, you know, in the religious world he was in. He said, and Jesus said, well, no, 70 times seven. And so we need to be forgiving people. And that's one way we can describe our love. But, but then he goes on again in action steps. I only got six minutes, all right? 
He says, above all, keep fervent your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. We ought to be loving and forgiving. Then verse 9 says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. And so my bullet point here is exactly what it said right there. Be hospitable, hospitable to others without complaining. Now, what is it? What is it? What does it mean to be hospitable? Okay, I can't even say that word very correctly. Hospitable, really it means is opening up who you are to the other people in. Now that can be in your home. Uh, that could be in your car. That could be in your schedule. That could be on your telephone or your, whether you're texting people. Whatever. You just open yourself up. Let people in so that you can meet their need. In... Um, Romans 12, 13, he says, we ought to care for the needs of others being hospitable to one another. And so within God's people, we, we ought to just be open to other people and, and extending ourselves into their lives. And, and, and then when you do it, then, 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 then don't grumble about it, all right? Oh, man, I can't believe this person, man. You know, you, without complaining, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, I believe it is, says, look, be hospitable not only to people within your family, your church family, or the people that know the Lord, but, but also to anyone. And by the way, when someone comes to your door, you need to recognize you need to be hospitable to them because you might entertain angels unaware. Anybody familiar with that verse? You know, is that... You know, and what, what is an angel? An angel is a messenger. And this is a messenger from God. And God is saying, look, I'm bringing someone in your life. I don't want you to open up your life to their life to meet their needs. Extend yourself. And, and don't complain about it. And then finally, he goes on and says this. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks it, speaks as one who is speaking the utterance of God. And whoever serves, it is to do as one who's serving by the strength of God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Uh, and that verse, you know, obviously you could have a series on, uh, on this, but he's saying, look, at, what is the action plan? The action plan is we ought to be praying. We ought to be talking to God about people and people about God. We don't talk about. We don't talk to God about what's really important in people's lives. Secondly, we, we ought to be loving people, extending ourselves, being self-sacrificing for the needs of others, and forgiving. We we, we ought to pe be people who who really understand that in our lives that we ought to open up our lives to others, be hospitable. The the word actually means lover of strangers. But then in this last point, he said, look at, you know, Jesus came to serve and not to be served. And so if we're going to follow God, then we ought to have a servant's heart and we ought to look for ways that we can use the gifts and talents that God has given us and, and just be part of the team. And, and whether, as we heard this morning, uh, joining the, the, the team that, that leads worship, whether it be by sound or, or, or by video, videoing it or preparing to, to sing or to play an instrument. If you can do that, then, then step up. Or if you've got a voice, join the choir. If, if you're willing to extend yourself as people come in to greet people, if, if, if you have the ability to teach, then teach. If you have the willingness to, to see needs around in our facility and say, well, I, 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 I'd, like, 
I like to help in that way, but I don't want to step on anybody's toes. You know what I say? Step on people's toes, all right? Just look, don't wait for an invitation. Obviously, we could do a much better job of recruiting all the time, but look, if you see a need, that might be an indication that God has put that on your heart, then look what ways you can meet that need. And if you're afraid, well, I can't do it all myself, well, let us know about it. Maybe we can gather people around you to help you to meet those needs. If you want to be involved in one-on-one relationships with people, then befriend them. If you want a, a, a real organized ministry on that, then join Stephen's ministry. If you have needs, then let us know and so other people can meet you because either you ought to be serving or allowing people to serve you. Does that make sense? And, and we all do it through the strength of God and for the glory of God because when we do what God wants us to do, then we show to people who God really is. So what's the point this morning? The first point is you need to remember everything I said about the end times, all right? That's number, that's number one. Jesus is coming again. That's the big, Jesus is coming again. And I think the next thing on his agenda is that he's gonna gather up his people to meet with him. But when, but, but when that happens, it's, not, it's for the purpose to display God's goodness. It's not because we should get a ticket away from anything that, that causes pain or suffering. But there's coming a time on this earth where God will display his holiness and justice. And we want to warn people there's going to be an end into how we see light today. And God's going to judge and you need to be prepared for that. But in the meantime, we want to be a part of God's program, to be a part of God's program, which is to display who he is so that people can see his goodness, grace, and mercy, is that we ought to pray and we ought to love and we ought to serve and we need to open up ourselves to others to let them in, not only to our heart and life, but in the heart of God. Let's pray together. Father, I, I really do pray in the midst of all of this that it was helpful, not for the purpose of just understanding some details in the scripture, but to realize that, that you do have a plan. This is not, everything that happens in life is not arbitrary. And then you know when all these things will happen, but, but we need to be prepared for it could happen parts of it at any time. Might we recognize that, that we live with the, the privilege of, of serving you and knowing you and allowing other people to know you as well. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning or here or online that doesn't know you, might they recognize that, that time is very short for many reasons. We don't know what's going to happen physically in our own lives. But Father, we know spiritually that you could come anytime. And Father, it all, it all starts with a commitment. A commitment to understand and to believe that Jesus is the one who came to deliver us from our sin, to forgive us from our sin. That which separates from us from you. And that when we, by faith, invite you into our life, that you forgive us and allow us to begin that journey of knowing you and living for you. Help anyone here that that hasn't made that commitment, I pray a very simple prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I need you. Come in my life. Forgive me my sins. Make me new on the inside. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.